You're listening to the Finch and the Pharaoh. I will turn into Leafs Twitter wanting to fire my Babcock if they lose on Tuesday night. The Finch and the Pharaoh. This is the Finch and the Pharaoh. On Spirit Live. Well, happy World Radio Day, everyone. It's great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Jackson Farrell, and this is the Finch and the Farrell, back for episode number two now. And we have a very special guest on World Radio Day. It's Patrick Talon. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to be here. Good to have you here. Uh, obviously, we don't talk Habs that often. We don't talk about the Montreal Canadiens uh, for a couple reasons. We're in Toronto. But Zach is obviously a pretty big Habs fan, so he does like to talk about them on occasion. So this is pretty much a dream show for you, isn't it, Zach? Yeah, no, 100%. Anything, am, anything to help out Zach. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, we, we need we need some therapy right here. It's going to be a, a group therapy session because yes. things aren't looking too great, especially the last couple of games. Habs have dropped their last two, and last night especially dropped a 4-1 game in Boston, and they now are seven points back of the Leafs for that third Atlantic spot. And they've also played two more games, so it's not looking too good right now. No, it's not looking good at all. Um, this has sort of been the theme, I guess, for Montreal. A uh, little bit of hope, and then they keep losing. And then just when you think they're back in, they start losing once again. I thought the the game against the Leafs was a turning point. The the Scandella tying goal, the Kovalchuk game winner, I thought that was really a turning point that showed, and I hate to use cliches, the team's character, and then they play. I know Boston's a good team, but even against Arizona, they they showed up kind of flat, so I think that's just sort of the, the theme for this season, really. And yeah, you talk about hope. Like, they've lost eight games straight on multiple occasions, but before their these past two losses, they've won nine out of 12. Yeah. So, you know, a bunch of fans kind of hopping back on the bandwagon, but with these last two losses, really put a dent in their playoff hopes, and that kind of leads into... Where do the Habs stand for the trade deadline? Are they going to be buyers, sellers? It's been a really big topic of conversation. I think uh, they should they should be sellers. That is a thing. Like that they should be selling. They should be sending off old assets in Tatar, Petrie, and see what they can get. Um, they shouldn't be buyers. Uh, I think anyone who thinks that is a little bit delusional. I'll be completely honest. Um, I don't think they're going to do either. I think they're going to sit tight with. Uh, the players that are on the trading block, the most notable names in Tatar and Petrie. Uh, maybe the only one I could see them trading is Ilya Kovalchuk because as exciting as he's been for Montreal and as cool as it is to see Ilya Kovalchuk as a Montreal Canadian, he's someone that can get you at least a third round pick, maybe depending on, on how his production keeps up. And uh, he's a player who wants to win. So Kovalchuk, I think they can move. I can maybe see them moving Nate Thompson, I know the Islanders apparently had interest in getting a, a fourth-line center. But other than that, I think the big names in Tatar and Petrie, I think they're going to stay, unfortunately. Well, from an outside perspective, it just it reeks of a team who's stuck in limbo in a lot of ways. And if they were to buy, I think that would be pretty much the opposite of what not only fans want, but yeah. also just the opposite of where, you know, what would a good organization do in that position? They probably wouldn't buy when they're sitting way outside of a playoff spot, injuries are mounting up now it's mm. you know it doesn't make any sense i don't think for them to buy what do you think of a guy like jeff petrie do they look to move on from him because he has a year left after this on his deal doesn't he yeah and, and for a for a player of that caliber to be i think he's making just a little bit over five million uh he is he will a lot of teams would look for a jeff petrie mm -hmm. a puck moving defenseman he's very solid defensively he's very fast he can put up points a secondary guy and the fact that every time show ever gets injured Petrie's been able to step up to the plate, shows how valuable he really is. Uh, Petrie will get you a first. I think Petrie can get you a first, maybe a B-level prospect. Um, and I guess the Weber injury kind of changes things here because I'm not sure what they're going to do. But I, I, I honestly, uh, 
as much as good as good as Tatar and Petrie are as as players on Montreal, and although they're a key part in them winning, at a certain point, like you said, they're in limbo. A team has to admit defeat, mm-hmm. and I always cite back to the Leafs when they had that decade, a little bit over a decade of just mediocrity, yep. and it just wasn't pretty, and. They had the Shanna plan, mm-hmm. and he said the the quote that was going around hockey was "There's going to be pain," but that's what Montreal has to do because they said it's going to be bad. We're going to lose, and it's worth it because you guys got you guys the Leafs got good draft mm-hmm. picks, and they and they started to rebuild and actually do it. You can't have a team that's built around Price and Weber thinking you can contend while also banking on Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi being those guys because. They're not going to age. Like it's the way it's. It's not going to work. You know them yeah. in their prime. Price and Weber are going to be in their forties, so it doesn't work. But as for as for Tatar and Petrie, I would hundred percent move on from them. Yeah, well, that's kind of the whole shtick with the Montreal Canadiens is, do you try to win now with Price and Weber? Ever since Price signed that huge contract extension and it was the one for one PK Subban for Weber, everyone was saying the time is now for the Montreal Canadiens. But obviously things haven't went that way, and they're kind of stuck in this middle ground. They have a bunch of prospects coming up. And they also have a bunch of veterans who are aging. So they're kind of, I guess they're in between a rock and a hard place at this point in time. And uh, in terms of guys like Jeff Peachy you're talking about, he's been playing 27 minutes in the yeah. absence of Shea Weber. You can't put that much workload no. on a defenseman. But I totally agree. We, we were talking about it earlier, Jackson. Uh, Leafs got Muzzin for a first rounder. I would compare Petrie to Muzzin in, in terms of value. Yeah. Different defensemen, different playing styles, but in terms of value, teams would definitely give a first rounder, and especially with the Habs ra- racking up twelve draft picks for this upcoming mm-hmm. draft, it uh, it wouldn't hurt to add one more, don't you think? Absolutely. This is the Finch and the Faro. Six minutes into the show here, just talking a little Montreal Canadiens and the current state of them. Should they buy? Should they sell? I think we're all in agreement. They should definitely be selling because you don't want to be a team in limbo. And you mentioned Yasperi Kakinyemi third overall pick a couple years ago and the fan base first year in his rookie year yeah. listen he was dynamite and yep. the fans were going crazy and and i would imagine that there was pressure from ownership saying no no no, no. you're keeping him here you're yeah. keeping him up who cares about the development he's selling tickets the fans love him but now he's found his way in the american league here yeah. and Chances are, I haven't looked at his numbers, to be completely honest with you, okay. <laughs> but you know, I, I'd imagine that he's going to crush it in, in, and at least find his footing again. I think that's the most important thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think the thing with Jesperi Kakaniemi, and this is the, the, what I've always said about Montreal Canadiens and their management and the way that they develop their young players, is you look at a guy such as Michael McCarron, who was traded earlier, or Charles Houdon, mm-hmm. they're either rushed or they're buried, like like those guys I just mentioned. And the thing with Jesperi Kotkaniemi is I think there was so much hype around finally Montreal drafted a center early on Mm -hmm. in the first round. He's going to be the guy. Bob McKenzie was raving about him. Craig Button was raving about him. But he's 18. He was 18 last year, right? And you bring him in and you play him. And he's fine. He, you know, 36 points in 60-something games. It's pretty good. And you think he's going to take the next step this year. And he doesn't. I would say in part it's on him because he didn't look good. Um, and in part, you know, you can't have him playing with Nick Cousins and Jordan Wheel and expect to have that that production repeat. So uh, the thing with him is, is I honestly think he was rushed. I thought a year in Finland would have been good. His Finnish team that he was going to play in, that his dad actually coaches, they didn't have a strong year, but at least he'd be getting top six minutes. He'd be getting power play time. He'd be getting defensive assignments and stuff like that. And then this was the year I actually had him spending a full year in the AHL. 
and next year would be the year where he makes the leap to the NHL. Because you do this, you do this up and down thing, and it, and it sucks for, for their players' development. But in this case, I do think going to Laval was good. He's playing on the first line. He has seven points, seven assists in five games. Um, but it, it's honestly, it just comes back to development, like I said. I, I don't know. I really hope they don't ruin this kid because he's a good center, and I'd hate to see uh, him follow the route of the abundance of other prospects that Montreal has ruined over yeah, time. That's, so. that's the problem with Montreal Canadiens, that they haven't really quite developed their prospects. You talk about third overall, you think about Galchenyuk, right, yeah. and how he's been getting bounced around the NHL now. But the thing about Kokniemi uh, is that he gets to be the guy in the AHL. Or that's how they're kind of yeah. framing it up. He's still young, he's still small, but he gets to be the guy. Because you notice in the NHL, especially after his... Uh, last couple of injuries, one being a concussion, right, when he got flipped over there. Mm-hmm. You can just see his confidence going into the corners, kind of hesitant. And if yep. you're going to be the first overall center, you got to get into the nitty-gritty areas. And at the end of the day, uh, 6'2", 198 pounds, he's got a decent frame, but he just needs to build up that confidence. And uh, like you were saying, seven points in five games, all being assists. So yeah. we know his IQ is still just as good. It's just I think he needs a little bit more confidence, just needs to get that scoring touch back. Well, when you you spend a third overall pick on a guy, he better turn out yeah. in a big hockey market. If if that's a bust, that's a one of the bigger black holes on Bergevin's resume, right? And and listen, I, I'd imagine some people in Montreal right now think it already is a, is a black hole on his resume, yeah. perhaps for valid reason, but... I think this is a really good thing. This is a step in the right direction yes. in terms of his demotion, and I'd imagine he'll come back hungrier than ever. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's smart to keep him down there. And like you said, it is a black hole because outside of Jesperi Kotkaniemi uh, and Ryan Paling, the only players that he's drafted that are on the team are Victor Mete and Arturi Lekkonen. Mm-hmm. Mete <laughs> is a fringe top-four player, and yeah. Arturi Lekkonen is just a really strong uh, third-line four-checker. But other than that, like you've, he's been with the team for eight years. You'd expect a little bit more. Some of the trades are okay, but... But really, you need it's it's a development league. Mm-hmm. You have to, you build through the draft, and that's what he's been preaching. But we see so many times he moves his draft picks. He moves Sergachev. He moved Galchenyuk, and and um, I just I question a lot of the decision making. But I think, like you said, him being in Laval is a good move. Was he the one who made the McCarran selection? Yeah, that was a that, yeah. He also picked Connor Crisp, um, and I feel over the I think when people credit. Bergevin for some of the draft picks I think a lot of that credit needs to go towards Trevor Timmons uh Trevor Timmons being the head scout um and I think in the last couple years I was reading an article saying that Bergevin handed over almost all the responsibilities of the draft to to Trevor Timmons Mm -hmm. meaning he's not going to make the selections because Trevor Timmons will find the Arturi Lekkonen in the in the second round or the Charles Hudon in the fifth or the whatever right um you can tell what a Bergevin pick is, and you can tell what a Trevor Timmons pick is. And I think handing handing it over to uh, to Timmons is the right move. Um, but again, we'll we'll see what they do this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially because the draft is in Montreal this year. Yeah. The projected first overall, Alexis Lafreniere, is a Quebec native, so <laughs> everything is uh, in the in Montreal's favor in terms of I guess getting some sort of hype, which is around the draft, which is not what should be happening. But regardless, there's still a bunch of season <laughs> left to play, and uh, we've mentioned it briefly. Shea Weber officially listed out as four to six weeks. There's been a lot of talk around this injury, especially in the past 24 hours. It was first considered that he would be ruled out for the season. Then people were talking that he might retire due to this injury, and that would cause a lot of cap penalties for both the Predators and the Montreal Canadiens. But now they're saying four to six weeks. The season ends in six weeks, so we'll see. I guess if the Habs are just in time for playoffs. (laughs) You'll never know. But again, uh, guys like Petrie are going to have to step up and he's potentially on the trading block. So there's a lot of questions in Montreal. How do you think Shea Weber's injury uh, 
affects the Montreal Canadiens going down the stretch? Uh, I saw a lot of outrage specifically towards Nick Kiprios um, about his initial tweet saying right. he said it could be a lot more serious, that could affect his future, only before the Canadiens, Canadiens account excuse me, came out saying it'll be four to six weeks. I understand the outrage, but I also think there's nothing wrong with saying it could affect his future because, look, this is the same foot he had surgery on he might have to have surgery again and he's averaging almost 30 missed games a season since coming to Montreal mm-hmm. and if he hurt this foot once again he could miss even longer so I think he probably is worried for his future this is a player that that does get injured often and um, I saw something on Twitter that said maybe does this force Montreal more into a rebuild or does it force them to keep Petrie and have him step up? Yeah, and mm. especially because uh, they announced that it was an ankle sprain they didn't yeah. announce what kind of sprain because if it's a high ankle sprain the, the story changes. He might need surgery again. Mm-hmm. And then we're potentially talking about all these retirement rumors. But at the end of the day, Shea Weber has a lot of mileage on him. And he's performed internationally for the Predators, for the Habs, the couple seasons they were in the playoffs when he came to the team. Yeah. But again, you've mentioned this, the same foot and p- the potential for surgery again would be detrimental. And especially the captain who was supposed to kind of be the rock in between yeah. Carey Price and the offense. I remember when they got Shea Weber, everyone was talking about you used to get through Weber and then Price. Yeah. But it clearly hasn't turned out like that. And yeah, him leaving doesn't seem like a surprise. Montreal's used to playing without Shea Weber and honestly it's kind of a disappointment. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the Weber trade was well, he's thirty one, he's sort of still in his prime, even though he technically wasn't, saying that they would win now and he's gonna solidify it. And after that epic collapse in, in twenty sixteen, he was supposed to be the character guy along with Andrew Shaw to sort of rally them and make sure these these sort of collapse didn't happen again. And I don't deny Weber's a good leader, but at the end of the day you still have to build a skill team. Well, and the fact that they it was clearly an emphasis on building up that room mm-hmm. when in that trade, the yep. Subban for Weber trade, that was essentially Bergevin coming out and saying, listen, our, our room is poisonous right now and yep. we want to get a leader. And I totally respect that. But Shea Weber has six years after this year at 7.85, a little over 7.85 million. Um, so that is something to keep an eye on as well for the Habs. That could handcuff them. Now, you could throw them on LTIR, throw them to Robodot Island for a while, <laughs> Uh, but that's it. After all, it is your captain, and in Montreal, a captain it means a big deal. And I'd imagine that ownership would would have. And I keep coming back to the ownership thing, but I think it matters in big markets, especially in Montreal, where this is a team who is used to success. It's used to having a a winning formula pretty much every single year. Yeah. And now they're really in the dumps. Their captain's on the mend. He's got a long deal left. Carey Price is taking shots left, right, and center. He's yeah. 32. He's got another six years after this. I think seven years after this? Six years? Something like that at 10.5. Too long. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. you take a look at it, and, I mean, their situation isn't exactly, you know, it's not like they're one or two trades away. Like, this is a full-blown rebuild slash maybe not fully tear it down. I think you had clearly have some yeah. key pieces there. Is Kakanyemi the first-line center of the future, though? I think they need another guy. Yeah, I... I right? I, uh, if this is That's a tough question. I, I, I'll i say no, uh, even though I really want him to be, and I think I want him to be just because they haven't had one in so long, but if I... That's just my fandom. But, uh, no, I think I think his ceiling is a really, really, really good second-line center, or maybe a, a 1A and then maybe a 1B, uh, depending on who depending on who uh, who else can step in, if it's going to be Suzuki or Deneau. Um, but yes, Ray Kakanyemi, he's an interesting player. And, and some argue that that was a reach because Brady Kachuk was available, because Quinn Hughes was available. Um, 
I can see that argument, but I also think for Montreal's sake, Bergevin didn't have a choice. Yeah. This is a team that has not had a good center since Saku Cueva, who even then was more of a second-line center. Yeah, and uh, you look at the whole Montreal Canadiens situation, uh, especially you look at the cap, because that might be the one silver lining that Habs fans have been gripping onto for what seems like forever, <laughs> forever now. Forever, honestly, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> it says their current cap space is $13 million. It's more um, with take all the logistics away is looking more like seven eight yeah. million uh so there's a lot of room to work with and they really haven't used that in terms of the trades bergevin has made it's been low salary for low salary or yeah. high salary for high salary so they still have that space what do you foresee montreal doing with that space if they do anything at all i i can't see bergevin spending it he's He's emphasized on, on on numerous occasions in his year in pressers how hard it is to get a free agent in Montreal, number one, and how he's not going to spend the cap just to spend the cap. Um, I think they're going to go into next season playing under the cap. I know Domi's up for a contract renewal, depending on how much you want to pay him. I don't think he should be asking too much. Uh, Gallagher's contract is up soon, so I don't think he's going to go out and sign a, a marquee free agent. He's or, not going to ask for a raise either. I think what no. he's at right now is perfect for the kind of player he is. Yeah, yeah. Should be noted real quick, a circus just unfolded in this studio. Someone left their headphones here, so we were trying to figure that out. So yeah. apologies if it sounded a little chaotic, because it was chaotic. Uh, a couple awkward seconds of silence. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. Should, be, should be noted, we are not live streaming today on Twitter or even spiritlive.ca. Uh, the streaming service is down currently in the Spirit Life studios. Hopefully we're up when we come back from Weeding Week, but I guess we'll find out. Mm-hmm. It is nearly 5.30, the Finch and the Pharaoh uh, episode two of season four for us here on Spirit Live. And we were just talking about the Montreal Canadiens, their whole situation, bit of a mess there right now. Now, I may have missed this in your conversation, but they have a lot of draft picks this year. Yeah, 12. Yeah. And like what I, what I highlighted here is that they got two second-round picks, and they got three fourth-round picks, mm-hmm. two fifth-round picks. So mm-hmm. in terms of the drafting in Montreal, the fans have a lot to look forward to in terms of selection. It's just... Again, we talked about buy or sell. There was a point where the Habs were just as far away from the bottom of the league as they were from cracking a playoff spot. And the fact that they went on this little run kind of cemented them kind of in the middle of the pack. So yeah. first overall is kind of, well, it's always kind of a, bit of a, pipe a, a bit of a reach. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, well, that'd be something, though, wouldn't yeah, it? It would, it would have been. To but, draft Lafreniere first overall in Montreal. Wow. I mean, that's... That's Guy Lafleur on steroids, right? It's, it's quite the story, though. But at the end of the day, they're going to probably middle of the road, and I, you never know what the draft lottery is going to do. And the draft well, lottery, we maybe, got we got a little something something planned for that. Don't maybe we, we should see what the lottery is all about. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Um, quickly here, well, not quickly. We have tons of time. We are going to do the 2020 NHL Draft Lottery Simulator. We're going to do it three times. And hopefully Montreal lands in a different position each three times, or at least gets wins the lottery once, or at least gets into the top three once. And what we're going to do is, we're going to have both of you, the Habs fans, I will not participate in this, I will be the mediator, are going to decide who they should take at that pick. Uh, So I'm not sure how familiar both of you are with the current draft rankings, but I think you have a pretty good idea of the top ten. So, I wish we had video today because then we could live stream (laughs) this, but that's okay. So, I'm going to do the lottery simulator here. So, currently, Montreal is at number nine in terms of the overall odds. They have a 5% chance of getting the number one overall pick. Hmm. So, but they've traded, they've changed the lottery system up a lot, actually, because Detroit has only an 18.5% chance at number one. So, they have what, an 81.5% chance of not getting it, right? So, here we go. I'm going to do the lottery. First time here. And. Okay, Minnesota 1, 
Really? That would be terrible. What a waste. Ottawa 2. Yeah, Lafreniere in Minnesota, man. That's, that's, that's where players go to die. Anywhere that isn't Montreal is a waste for and Lafreniere. Anaheim, Sorry, Anaheim 3, Detroit falls to number 4. Hmm. And Montreal goes to 10. So, at num- let's say you get number 10. That would be tough. Who are you taking at number 10? Patrick, you first. Uh, Noel Gunler, a massive six foot two winger out of the Super Elite League in Sweden. Uh, depending on who you ask, he's all over the board. I know some the more skills mm-hmm. analytics guys... Uh, Try to shy away from the from the bigger guys. He's not the fastest guy, but I think Montreal needs a big scorer. He has a lethal shot, and he's been someone that's kind of been flying under the radar. Um, so I, I would go with him. Zach, yeah. I'm gonna go with Dylan Holloway. Nice. Let's get a nice left winger in there, especially if you are bringing up Cockney to be this number one center that everyone is uh, really reaching for. Maybe maybe the second line center, but anyway, um, I feel like he's a nice left winger, uh, good size, uh, good talent, has good hands. So if you're going to try to compliment Cockney skills because he is more of a passer, mm-hmm. and so if you get another passer on the line mixed with a sniper, it might mm-hmm. work well, but I just think they need that winger. Um, decent size, need to put a couple more pounds on, but yep. I'm sure that comes with age and development, and I think that'd probably be... Okay, so we're going wingers at number 10. Mm -hmm. All right, here is the second lottery simulation. Oh, oh, okay. Pick number one, the Los Angeles Kings. Pick number two, the Montreal Canadiens. So at number two, so let's say Lafreniere goes number one to L.A. Let's say that happens. Okay, so you've got, I mean, there's your first line center. I don't think there's much argument in this one. Unless you have something else to say. Well, no, 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 no. Because I'm, I'm saying Quentin Byfield. I'm saying Byfield. Because, yeah, yeah as yeah, much as we'll you want Cockney to be the center, uh, Quentin Byfield is yeah. easily going to trump over him, potentially in his first year. Yep. Well, that gives you so many... If you get Byfield and Kakanyemi as your yeah. one-two of the future, mm-hmm. with yeah. Paling... Paling as a third, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. all of a sudden, now you're talking. You pick up a good guy in the third, yeah, fourth round we, with all those picks. And we talked about size, 214 pounds, my God. And he's, and he's fast. Yeah, yeah, he's quick. You can't be that tall and be that fast it's unbelievable mm-hmm. that guy how, how fast he can skate so yeah no no debate here Quentin Byfield I wonder how that his game transitions to the NHL because he's big fast has some skill does it all carry over like I and he's he's ranked so high you, and I, you got to give him a couple of years I feel like because we yeah. even saw it um, the whole country got to see him in the world juniors and we even noticed he didn't even play in the gold medal game yeah right because um he's Almost an entire year younger than Alexis Lafreniere, just based on the the rules the birthday, set. Like yeah. he just slid in there, right? So he is almost a year younger than most of the people in this draft. I still think he's NHL ready first year, but he's not going to be anything special. He's got to grow to the game. Um, he has the size to do it, but he has to adapt to a faster game um, and a more skilled game. Yeah, I think, and I feel like he didn't he didn't look great at the World Juniors. I'll be honest, but I also mm-hmm. feel like the World Juniors is a two week tournament. Yeah, and what Byfield's done before the World Juniors is unbelievable, and you have to keep in mind he is a year younger, and he only played like five minutes a night. But I, I do think when he when he's going to come into the NHL, he will be a stud. If it's not the first year or the second, no matter what, he's going to be yeah. a top. And he's been center. tearing it up inside. <clears throat> oh yeah. yeah. So um, he's doing just fine in terms of his level of competition. He's going to have to grow as a player. Absolutely. All right, number three of the draft lottery simulator. Let's see what happens. Oh, they're at number 10 again. That's lame. We'll do that again. One more time. One more time. And they're at number 9. So would yeah. you change your pick, or what do you guys think? There is a player, Anton Lundell, and he is all over the draft board ranking. Mm-hmm. Some people have him at 15. Some people have him at 20. Some people have him in the top five. Yeah. Uh, he's a very complete center, and I don't know why people 
criticize his offensive upside. Uh, he can put up points. He's a great passer. He's like a perfect two-way center. And even though you have Suzuki, who could be a center, and Kakunyemi, I don't think that it, it hurts them in adding another one. So I'll say Anton Lindell. You know what? I'm going to have to agree with you on that one just because he kind of reminds me of Philip Forsberg on the Nashville Predators. I remember like he was all over the draft board throughout the entire NHL season, and he was actually poised to be number three, which was the Habs pick. Obviously, he <sighs> fell down the rankings as the season went on. Slid to, I think it was number 13, like early 10s. He got picked by Nashville. And uh, if you want to compare apples to oranges, I guess, um, <laughs> Philip Forsberg compared to Galchenyuk, I think we know who's the yeah. better player in the league. I, he he kind of reminds me of the same thing. He's all over the draft board, and if you can scoop him up at what number nine right uh it wouldn't it wouldn't be a loss i i will say about the 2020 draft since it is so forward heavy and i'll, I'll be honest i haven't looked into this draft as much as i would have liked i have a decent grasp on the first round after, after that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a little lost uh jamie drysdale is a player who's mm-hmm. been all over the place uh mainly because people have been so focused on the forwards if he's around number nine i'm if i'm on i'm 100 taking him even if it's the right shot you look at when he's gonna enter his prime petrie and weber will probably be gone um and looking at where Montreal's picking now, uh, if they end up winning a little bit more, picking somewhere in the teams, there's uh, Jeremy Poirier out of the queue mm-hmm. and uh, Lucas Cormier also out of the queue, um, who are a bit more, they have a bit more uncertainty towards their game, but they are a left shot defenseman who could help. But um, yeah. Yeah, and this, and this draft in particular has a lot of international talent yep. compared to years prior, where you'd, you see guys coming internationally but they'd be from the CHL in whichever league that is but you're seeing a lot of guys from the SHL um the like the La Liga mm-hmm. yeah the Swedish all, league, yeah, league, yeah. Swedish league so yeah. all all of these different guys coming in there's lots of different talents and as we've come to know a lot of guys who come from overseas especially from Europe have a way different style of play and that shakeup might just be what Montreal needs yeah that you mentioned Drysdale I really really like him as a player mm-hmm. I think any team who gets him will be very very happy yeah. I could see him going in the top five uh, especially if a team gets desperate for defensemen. Mm. Okay, so after with all that being said in terms of the draft, Mark Bergevin. Okay, let's say you're Jeff Molson. Okay, Patrick, you okay. are holding your end of season meeting with Mark Bergevin after the last game of the regular season. He walks into your office. Do you consider chopping him? Oh, thousand percent. Would you, would you fire him? Yes. I th- oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I. I'm now. I'm getting all heated. Yeah. But honestly, uh, this is this is a GM who who came in in 2012 after after uh, Gainey and Gauthier and all those mm. guys. They cleaned house, right? And Bergevin's first the first red flag was rehiring Michel Therrien for starters. But this is a this is a GM who came in and said, okay, we have a good we have a good core to build around. It was the third overall pick. It was a prime Subban. Um, Kind of a prime mechanics, uh, Pacioretty, Price. Like, this was the core. And he said, I'm going to build around these guys, and there's going to be a couple transition years before we start to contend. I'm going to bring greatness back to Montreal. I'm going to revive the history of winning and make the fans of Montreal proud. Jeff Molson said the same thing. After the run in 2014, Bergevin said that was a transition year and that they would get better. Hmm. And you look back at, at the guy who was hired in 2012 and the guy now, and it's, it's night and day. This is a GM who said that... who emphasizes on numerous occasions how hard his job is, how free agents are hard to sign, trades are hard. Um, he has these weird like metaphors about being in a foxhole with, with Michel yeah. Therrien. Um, yeah, he's funny and he's quirky and whatever. Uh, he's not the guy who will bring this team to a Stanley Cup. I really don't think so. Even though he's made some good trades, I don't think he can build a, a contender. And I feel that the bar keeps getting set lower and lower and lower. Um, 
because now what is it? Or is it Price and Weber? Is it Suzuki? Or you can't you can't do both, and that's why Suzuki and Kotkaniemi and Paling alone, maybe throw Caulfield in there. They aren't enough to build around. And Price and Weber are getting old, and they're kind of ha- handcuffed by that price contract. So, um, you know, there's been some good trades, some bad trades, some okay signings, but they are what they are, and that's just a middling team. They might make the playoffs here and there, maybe win a round. But if not, like a team has to pick a direction. And he hasn't done that. Uh, that being said, I don't think he will get fired. I think I think he and he and Molson for some reason are on the same page. Well, I think he's very respected around the league in terms of the deals he can make. Not he's a deal maker. Yeah, the thing is, he is a very good deal maker. Sometimes he waits too long to pull the trigger, which ends up hurting him. And again, we talked about choosing a direction. He doesn't quite know because if you think about it, at the beginning of the year. Even though it was a long shot, the uh, the qualifying offer to Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes <sighs> wouldn't have that been something. But oh, again, yeah. it was a stab in the dark. Didn't work out. But again, a he lot tried. of people gave respect mm-hmm. to yep. Mark Bergevin for trying to make that deal. Mm-hmm. And again, we're talking about the Habs selling, but at the beginning of the year, Sebastian Ajo was kind of more of a you know try to acquire, try to build, try to make a run. Yeah. They just missed the playoffs by one point the year prior. So I feel like again. It's kind of an identity crisis in Montreal, and always has been for the past couple of years. Well, I had wondered a couple of years ago back in Tampa when Steve Eisman was GM and Julian Brisebois was assistant GM. I thought they may, you know, consider making that move because Brisebois is the brains behind the operation yeah. in Tampa. Yeah. You see what they're doing, what they have been doing in the last yeah. five, ten years. That would have been quite the coup, and I mean, fans of Montreal would have loved that. Yeah, I, I was a big advocate for Julian Brisebois because he worked with he worked with the Bulldogs right uh, for so long and he you know this guy you look at his resume it is packed with with so many credentials and so many uh so many things he's done yeah. and and you look at you know there's so many articles that say that Breezebois handled most of the contracts most of the trades mm-hmm. a lot of the drafting in Tampa Eisenman of course was the head GM but Breezebois was the brains like you said behind the entire operation and he was a smart guy in the Canadians organization that they kind of just let go that's tough and that's fine and and I th- I, I thought that there was a chance that they brought him back after a couple uh, tumultuous seasons when Montreal was was at the at the lowest point again. But again, now it's like I think part of why Molson might be hesitant to let go of Bergevin is who's going to replace him. There's talks of Patrick Waugh or or Martin Rodeur or uh, like Pierre Maguire and stuff like this. Like <laughs> I, I would be something. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's who you're going to or if not if you're not going to fire Bergevin, you need to hire a president. Yeah, not having a president is what's damaging uh, this team the most. Uh, someone has to sign off on these deals. Someone has to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. You can be the guy making the trade, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the approval. Do they have to be French? Uh, GM or president? Either. Uh, yeah, I think a yeah. GM has to be French. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. That's a, that's what kind of sucks about about being a Habs fan is the coach and GM have to be French. Right. Uh, and you'd be surprised at the amount of people who would rather. Uh, just no matter the experience, a yeah. French-speaking general manager. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that's sort of well, crippling why, this organization. That's why Marc Bergevin, he gets a lot of flack from the Canadians fan base and just the media in general. Has some, again, has some praise, has some uh, negative things to say about him. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day, he speaks French. Because when he came in, everyone was like, okay, Marc Bergevin's kind of the guy. You know, he's well-spoken. He kind of mm-hmm. has that charm to him. So it's easy to fall in love with him if um, you're a Habs fan, if you're from Quebec. But at the end of the day, uh, language is huge in Quebec, it is, and, it is. and that and that speaks in their sports, that speaks in their culture. I I, I agree with you. It definitely yeah. has to be French, which does uh, belittle their chances of finding the guy because obviously you have a lot less to choose from. But if you can find 
the perfect match. I think yeah. it's uh, smooth sailing. And I think the big thing with Bergevin is is he's sometimes he gets heated and he gets a little sort of curt and short during his press he's conferences. Assertive. But mm-hmm. but at the same time, he'll, he'll crack jokes and he'll answer questions uh, thoughtfully or if you want to say honestly. Um, something that's that's something that Pierre Gauthier lacked and. Uh, Pierre Gauthier was not a good communicator. He was very short, very rude to the media, just a overall kind of a weird guy. <laughs> and having a guy like Bergevin to come in and sort of change the culture was good. But um, uh, I'm not really sure. I think I think this next year might be the end of, of Bergevin, depending on what they do. But like I said, the bar is getting set lower. You know, the goal was to make the playoffs. It's like, no, you're the you're the GM of the Montreal Canadiens. The goal should be to win the Stanley Cup. The goal to, should be to contend, not not make the playoffs or maybe miss. You know, that's not a that's not a recipe for success for such a historic organization. Well, you talk about contending for success, contending for the Stanley Cup, and, and there's a team not far down the highway, well, a little bit far down the highway from Montreal in Toronto, the market we are in currently, who is trying to get there. Now it's time for the Fiction of Pharaoh's take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Trying to at least make the playoffs, but listen, if they miss the playoffs, the Toronto Maple Leafs, it is a complete joke of a season. It is a waste of a season. It's a waste of Marner. It's a waste of Matthews. It's a waste of Freddie, because they're not going to have Freddie forever. I really hope the Leafs don't make the playoffs. Not oh, because yeah. I, I respect the Leafs. I always, again, I, we've talked about this. I have, I have a general interest in the team. I like to see them succeed. But, oh, my God, could you imagine yeah. the drama, the must-watch television, what unfolds in the offseason? Yeah. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be hectic. Because, I'll be flipping this table. Yeah. Like, no, you're talking yeah. about hot takes. It's going to be hot takes on Spirit Live. It's oh, going to yeah. be hot takes on CBC and Sportsnet and TSN. Can't leave them. There. And listen, like, well, okay, here's the thing. They've got five points in the last six games. Jack Campbell's looked great. So it's like, you know, and, and yes, the overtime loss to Montreal always hurts. Anytime you lose to Montreal, if you're a Leafs fan, it hurts. They got five of the six points in their last three games, and that can't be overlooked. They are uh, two games up on Florida for third in the Atlantic. Now, Florida does still have a game at hand, so they're essentially pretty much tied. I think they still have two matchups against Florida down the stretch here. Those games pretty much determine what happens. Those are pivotal. Exactly. Those are massive games, but they've shown it an inability to close out games and an inability to play a full 60 minutes. And against Arizona on Tuesday, uh, I was actually at the game, and it was it was a great atmosphere, but I'll tell you what, man, there's a lot of pessimism amongst people in the stadium and and even just around kind of the, the team because the expectations are so high. And, and I don't mean to point fingers, but the older demographic hates the fact that that Matthews, Marner, and Nylander all got their big paychecks already. So the pressure is mounting upon a team that, in reality, is, is a good team, but they haven't won a round yet. This, yeah. this regime hasn't won a round yet, right? So there's there's a lot to be said about the whole fact, well, they've ran to Boston. Well, okay, but you got eventually you got to beat a team. I, th- I think the Leafs are going to be fine. Uh, I think the Leafs are going to be okay. Uh, I really like the Jack Campbell acquisition. Mm-hmm. Goaltending was just Hutchinson was not cutting it. I didn't. I thought some of the hate towards him was a little bit excessive, um, but at the end of the day, they improved. Yeah. When you start off zero and four in Toronto, you're gonna have yeah all health thrown at you. Yeah, uh, this is still a young team. This is still a team adjusting to Sheldon Keefe. I don't think it's he's. I still think you can. I think it takes a little bit longer to get used to a coach, at least when you go from Babcock to Keefe. Oh, yeah. Polar opposites. Um, I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to make the playoffs. If they run into the Bruins and if they lose in seven, 
they will beat the Bruins at some point. Eventually, they're going to beat Boston. Eventually, they're going to win some rounds. Uh, my only thing with the Leafs uh, is on the defensive end and what they're going to do. Uh, Jake Muzzin and Tyson Berry are both UFAs after the season. Uh, bright spot in Rasmus Sandin, uh, arguably one of the steals of that mm-hmm. that year's draft, um, being such a late pick. Uh, if they upgrade on D, do you guys think they go for that? I, I think what Dubis is looking for isn't a rental at this point. He, you could tell just from the Campbell Clifford trade, you know, they have, they, there's provisions in the, in the picks where if they re-sign Clifford, then that pick changes. So they obviously want to re-sign him. Mm-hmm. And Campbell has two years left after this on his deal. He wants to, he's not focusing on rentals right now. And the fact that they don't have a first round pick this year, they didn't have a first round pick last year. You can't be handing out, and they just gave up a third and potentially a second yeah. along with Trevor Moore. All of a sudden, and you got some big money on that roster. Yeah, the draft yeah. picks, you've seen it in teams like Pittsburgh it, and Chicago, where if you don't draft properly or you're moving too many picks out, it can it can cave in on you fast. Look at the Kings, right? Yeah. yeah, especially when they're so tight for cap. You talk about guys to sign. Well, Muzzin, Barry, and Dermot are all a free agent, Dermot being a restricted free agent. But still, Leafs don't have a lot of cap space because they've no. tied it up into that top six forward group. I feel like oh, I sound like a broken record. We've talked, yeah. it about, we've talked about it so much on this show, but... Regardless, the Leafs have some problems of their own. They mm. do have the talent. They do have the offense. Their defense is a little banged up right now, but at least, you know, Sandine and Lilligren have played together in the minors. So um, Lilligren was supposed to be the guy, but Sandin's kind of taken that over. But Lilligren, nothing to sneeze at. Might be a top six guy in the future. And the fact that they've been playing together their whole careers professionally, um, it's a good sign. And especially ha- implementing some young guys into that system might not be the worst thing. I also, I don't, th- I don't think there's a... I don't think there's an urgency for this year, if I'm being completely honest with the Leafs. I know Freddie's contract is up after next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyson Berry, I don't think Toronto should re-sign. No, I think, he, they won't. I think he's a little bit overrated. If he I'm, doesn't if, fit. No. Um, I They could re-sign Jake Muzzin, but I don't know why there's this urgency. I think it's because they keep losing to Boston. But I think I think next year with Keefe, a full year under Sheldon Keefe, a healthier team, another year of Rasmus Sandin, who, who will grow in the offseason, uh, I, th- I think that'll be their year where they, where they maybe make it. It could be this year, but I don't think there's a – I think the, the frenzy and the, the uncertainty around the Leafs is a little yeah. unwarranted because I, I really think they're going to be okay. Well, I think at the start of the year it was very much because people were expecting a lot more out of a guy like Tyson Berry, right? Yeah. And, and that's probably on the market for, you know – uh, overvaluing him a little bit. Well, considering what he did last year, that was huge. And considering what they mm-hmm. gave up to get him, mm-hmm. right? Nazem Kadri is a guy who, you know, they drafted him, developed him. He was one of the longest tenured Leafs. He, in fact, he was the longest tenured Leaf on that roster. And to move on from a guy like that for Tyson Berry, you expect almost a star, right? And and Tyson Berry just hasn't fit in for whatever reason. My issue, I don't think they're going to get a Matt Dumba or uh, Josh Manson, I don't, think, I don't see Dubas doing that, because that the asking price for Matt Dumba, I mean, look what Pittsburgh just gave up for Jason Zucker. They gave up Galchenyuk a first and a pretty good prospect in Kalen yeah. Addison. So yeah. if you're getting Dumba, people in the fan base are going to be pissed at you if you get him. And if, if you don't or get him... if you him, don't get him, they'll be pissed exactly. as well. So I, I think it's what it's going to be is it's the same way with the Campbell-Clifford trade. No one really thought that they were going to go and, and get Campbell and Clifford. It was more Georgiev, right? That yeah, was the big... Georgiev was the big name. Yeah. But you know what? Dubas just sat back, worked his magic, found a deal that worked for him. I think he's going to do the same thing with this. It'll be a 
It's not going to be a Jeff Petrie. There's no way that happens. He'd be a fantastic fit, though. Oh, absolutely. He would be a superb fit And the Habs would grill them for a first-round pick, which at exactly. least have no position they don't have to a first. give it up. Yeah. They don't have it. So someone can clearly outbid them, and that's probably what would happen. They could get a, you know, a desperate GM from out west to to give up a first for Petrie. I don't see the Leafs getting really involved in that, and that wouldn't make sense to trade between Montreal and Toronto at this point either. But it's going to be someone we're not thinking of, a right-shot D, someone who can maybe play in the top four next year so you can replace Barry. But at the same time, you've got a lot of cap constraints on this team, and yeah. that's, a, that's a big problem that Dubas has to you know figure out. But playing for the deadline, find a right-shot D, and if you don't, mm, that's not great. The fan base is going to eat you up, but there's a reason. They're clearly looking for one. I, I think a big thing going into teams, that I'll be real quick on this because I know we have other stuff to talk about, but I think a big thing that, that often goes unnoticed, I don't know how much stock you guys want to put into this, but how much pressure, like Washington was not the favorite to win the Cup. They, they Washington had no talk about mm. them when they went on their run. Same thing with Nashville the year before, and I feel like when there's not a lot of pressure on a team like Toronto because people are, have been, you know what, people have been, pretty critical of them this year you have morgan riley coming back Ilya mikhaev is coming back cody cc okay well but <laughs> riley and mikhaev are coming back um they've played well under keith and they've they're consistently getting better under keith fine third periods haven't been really their strongest point um but i i, I think uh I think they'll be okay, and I feel like they could surprise it. They could surprise Boston in the playoffs. You never know. Well, you, you mentioned the Washington Capitals. They were always the team that was the President's Trophy winners, and then they would choke in the first or second yeah. round. That was kind of their shtick, and that's kind of the Leafs' shtick right now. So if you want to, I guess, compare the two teams, you can make the arguments like, well, Washington did it, so so can we. And the Leafs yeah. definitely have the talent to do it. I just don't know if they have the maturity and the work ethic. You yeah. mentioned third period. It's also you a young team. In the playoffs. Like, what's yeah. their average age is what, 23, 24? Yeah. Like they're a young team. Absolutely, these players. Nylander hasn't hit his. Nylander, who's been playing unreal, unreal this season, hasn't hit his prime. Nope. Mitch Marner, same thing. Austin Matthews. Yeah, he's on pace thing. for fifty plus. Yeah. He's not in his Look prime. Envol. Right? Envol. Like, that was a good signing as well. Zach Hyman, another player who kind of flies under the radar, but who's super reliable. Thirty points in thirty-eight games. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, but we're gonna see what happens with the Leafs. I'd imagine they'll make the playoffs. It's gonna be tight. And listen, if you're a Leafs fan, at least at least it's interesting, mm-hmm. right? At least. Because they've gone through that rebuild that Montreal is potentially about to undergo, where it's it was bleak for a little bit. Now it was mm-hmm. sped up with the addition of Matthews and John Tavares, but you know it's it was painful for a while there. At least there's meaningful hockey to be played. But talk about meaningful hockey, we were going to do a whole Canadian NHL roundup, but I don't think we're going to have time. So I want to talk about one team who just had a major loss, and that's the Edmonton Oilers, who are currently second in the Pacific Division, 66 points. You know, they have the two. You know, Dreisaitl is currently leading the league in points, correct? Yeah. And then McDavid is either second or third. Obviously, he's going to drop now because he is out for two to three weeks. Was that it? Yeah, I think yeah, two, two to four. At least. <clears throat> yeah. And, and they're going to be cautious with him based on what has happened to him prior with that knee. Uh, and I think it's a quad injury right now, but who knows, right? They're not going to. Why would they? Why would they? Why say? would they be truthful with you? So Edmonton was already looking for depth at forward. Now you lose the best player in the world. Where do you go from here if you're Edmonton? Do you? I mean, you got you got to buy, right? You have to. You're, you're second in the Pacific. The, the good thing is with Edmonton is that, you know, they uh, they've cemented themselves as a quick team, and Leon Dreisaitl has gotten a lot of points. Again, a lot of those probably thanks to McDavid. But at the end of the day, with the Edmonton Oilers, you're still a decent team, and McDavid's only out two to four weeks. We mentioned how Shea Weber was detrimental being four to six, but 
in best best case scenario, McDavid misses six or seven games. Best case scenario. So there's a lot to look for, and they especially got a couple of tough games. They got to play Tampa. Yeah, they have tonight. Tampa tonight. So that's going to be a huge game for them. And then they got the Florida Panthers. A uh, great game to watch for them. And even if you're a Leaf fan, Florida's yeah, right there. Game. So you want to watch that too. And uh, you definitely wish McDavid was in the lineup uh, if you're a Leaf fan against Florida. I think they need to add. <clears throat> Even if McDavid is hurt or not, I think a big thing they wanted to add was depth in scoring. Uh, the name that has been circ- circling around a lot has been uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Right. Uh, 27 years old, 3.1 million UFA next year. 21 um, goals. Yeah, 21 yeah. goals, 13 assists, 34 points in 54 games. He is overachieving. Let's Absolutely. be real here. Oh, yeah. uh, contract year, of course. And he, he's a player that will be attract- that will, a lot of teams will find attractive because of his playoff numbers. 12 goals, 16 points in 35 playoff games. Not terrible. He's, he's done a lot uh, in the playoffs for Ottawa. Uh, he plays center. They can add that depth at center. He can also play wing. He's played right wing a little bit in Ottawa. I don't think... Uh, I think he has Edmonton written all over him, and I think he'd be a great fit there. Well, And this, James Neal's tampered off as well. Yes. James Neal's kind of struggled after the first half he had. Well, and, and especially now that McDavid's going down. I mean, his his uh, his meal ticket is, is on the bench for a while, but... This is where Kenny Holland makes his money, mm-hmm. right? This is where we we see the real Kenny Holland come out. Whether it's because he's got so much prestige coming over from Detroit, right? Uh, build, building those dynasties, but listen, man, he hasn't done a whole lot there. He's he's had some contract extensions. He's made the move for Neil, but this is this is where and this has to be tough for a GM because you know Pajot. I mean, what would be the return for Pajot? Does Pajot get a first? I think it's uh. Is he worth a first? No, but I could see a team giving up a first. Right, especially I think, a I think he's second-round material, like yeah. for sure. Yeah. But it'd be super important for Edmonton to get a guy like him because you look at the Pacific Division. First of all, weak division to start things off. Yeah. Uh, but Edmonton's in second place with 66. Arizona is in fifth with 64 as the, what is it here, the four teams underneath Edmonton, or the three teams underneath Edmonton all have 64 points. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of room for movement in the standings and every game is crucial if if your team's in the specific the pacific division you're watching every game mm. of because everyone is one or two points apart well it's and the best part is that it's canadian teams mm-hmm. right so i mean calgary's in there vancouver's in there so at least there's talking points for western yeah, well, canada, canada rounds out the top i think three. i think calgary yeah. will look to add some scoring as well because kachuk and goudreau they've they have around 50 points, and the next highest scoring uh, winger is Mangiapane with, like, I think just under 20. Uh, they're going to be a team that I think adds some depth on forward as well. Every team is going to look to add depth. Every team that's hoping to contend is going to add some depth and forward in defense, but I think Calgary is going to be another team to, uh, to especially look out for. I just, I, it must be a shame for Edmonton fans. I feel for them because the, this McDavid injury pretty much. Like th- that's that's it for their their hopes of even making a run, right? Because yeah. even if he comes back, okay, he's got to get back into form, and he gets into form pretty quick. But the fact is, they're gonna have to make some decisions on this roster that you know could potentially put Ken Hall in a position where he does overextend himself. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to think, McDavid is very injury prone, not based off like him as an athlete, but just based off the speed he's going all the time. We talked to, or I don't know if you guys saw the Sportsnet. Uh, feature. I haven't on, yet. On. I apparently was yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Very, it's very really good. Yeah. But what he said, he's like, when I heal, 
there's no way I'm not driving the net as fast as I can when I get back. Like, like right. I will be doing that every single yeah. time. Yeah. And the fact that he's just so much faster, you lose an edge once or twice, you know, it's all been lower body for McDavid, and that just goes to show how fast he is, how great he is, but also how dangerous like mm-hmm. it could be for him. Well, it's time for our Ryerson Rams recap as we wrap up the show here on the Finch and the Pharaoh. Uh, hold on. Let me find some nice music here. This one's called Chill Step Mix 2018. Mm. This is lame, but it'll work for it'll now. It'll work for now. <laughs> it's good enough. Kick things off, Zach. All right, to kick things off, we got men's hockey. It's playoff season. They beat Lakehead 4-1 in Lakehead. Uh, they will pl- uh, continue the rest of the best of three series here in Toronto. And that's a huge series, huge men's win. hockey. I mean, they're the second seed. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of pressure. There's a lot on of pressure team. on Ryerson. A lot of problems in that locker room, and so far they've been coming together. So, women's hockey lost to Laurentian three-two in overtime on Friday, but they beat Nipissing, who's a pretty good team, three-nothing on Saturday. They're currently seventh in the OUA with two games left against Windsor and Western. That's a tough South Western Ontario road trip. Can they come out of that with the playoff spot? We'll just have to wait and see. And moving on to basketball now, we start off with the men's team who have won four in a row. They're kind of heating up. Two games left in the season versus Nipissing and Laurentian. They're currently second in the OUA Central, which is definitely an improvement from the beginning of the season. They've been really putting together lately. And the women's team, they've won three in a row, four of the last five. Two games left against Nipissing and Laurentian. They are currently tied with Brock for first in the OUA Central. And the basketball team for the women's have been a, definitely a shock this year, but a sure. pleasant shock. But anyway, yeah. on to men's volleyball. They have also won three in a row. Two games left. That will be against York and Queens, and they are currently third in the OUA East. And the women's volleyball team, the yeah, the pride jewel of yeah. Ryerson Athletics, 16-2 on the season. have won seven in a row. Two games left against York and Queens, and they are, as usual, first place in the OUA East as we wrap things up. We didn't get a chance to talk about the Astros. They are just, they're just, you know, being the Astros, denying everything. Uh, it's a dumpster and, fire over there. <laughs> oh, it is an abs. They're hiring Dusty Baker as their manager. You know, our, our good friend Drew Frank thinks that the Astros are going to win again a lot next season. I'm not sure about that. I think this is going to be a massive distraction, and it's not going to be a fun season for those guys at all. So. Especially with the media just looking down. Oh, their throats and all, the and all like, the other God, teams. If, like every there was lawsuits, a lawsuit. A former for, Mike Bolsinger, uh, yeah, yeah, a former Blue Jay relief pitcher. So it's been a great show today. Obviously, Patrick from Take to Take. That's it, right? Yeah, Take to Take. Thanks. Thanks for the shout out. Mondays oh, no at three. There Tune you go. In. Mondays at three. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Finch Appreciate and the Pharaoh episode two will be podcasted on wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you next time.